0: Welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with
1: insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations
0: today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Here's your host, Peter Steinfeld. Today's episode is all about heat. It might feel like a strange topic in winter, But with extreme heat events becoming more frequent and deadly, it'll be a huge concern for organizations this year. If you don't already have a heat protection program for your business, now is the time to implement one before temperatures start rising. One way to beat the heat is to invest in heat mitigation PPE. Here to explain how it works is Cam Mackey, CEO of the International Safety Equipment Association, or ISEA, which has set the standard for PPE for decades. Cam walks us through how organizations can use PPE to protect their people from the rising threat of heat-related illness and injuries for both indoor and outdoor workers. Let's dive in. Hey, Cam. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Peter, and thanks for the invitation to join you.
0: Why should protecting employees from heat-related illness be top of mind for organizations in 2023?
1: So this past summer, twenty twenty two was one of the hottest ever here in North America. July alone, I looked at this double checked. couldn't believe it over three hundred and fifty heat records uh, just in one month, right? Here in the states, all of the five hottest summers occurred in the last seven years. That's a pretty alarming stat. So the question is, is this just us? Absolutely not. Europe had its worst drought in over 500 years this summer. London hit 105. I mean, it's like a disaster movie. So there are all these you know, stats I could throw at you, but it's something I think we intuitively get. It's getting hotter. So that's what's happening you know, externally in the climate. So there's a big human cost too, and that's what I'm excited to talk with you about. And the US alone, 11 workers are injured or die every single day from heat stress. That's 365 days a year, you know, even now in in December. These are the great people that deliver packages for us. They're picking strawberries in the field, working in a warehouse. These are people that we've made a commitment to to keep safe. And, you know, here at ISCA, there's a lot more we need to do as a society. So there's a human cost to heat stress and heat illness, but there's also a massive economic cost. There's a great report that was done by the Atlantic Council recently. They estimated that the U.S. loses up to $100 billion a year in productivity just due to heat stress. That number probably is going to double by 2030 and could be half a trillion dollars by 2050. So this is a big problem. There's a human cost. There's an economic cost. And it's important for this to be top of mind for employers.
0: Those are some pretty scary stats. I did not recognize or realize that there were that many individuals that succumbed to heat related issues each day that's stunning
1: it's scary stuff it's scary stuff and it's something that when you think about well, what does this actually mean you know there are a lot of stories out in the news about you know delivery workers passing out but maybe just i can talk briefly about what it means right it's not just the construction worker that's outside with no shade working on asphalt where you could fry an egg on two areas i want to share to give some examples the first is agricultural workers Last summer, Washington State, so, you know, upper uh, northwest part of the country, not exactly, you know, we'd consider a hot area. A gentleman named Florencio Gueda Vargas, he was picking hops, so an ingredient that we all enjoy in beer. And the weather that day was between 97 and 100 degrees, so really, really hot. Um, His family suspects he wasn't given PPE, wasn't given a proper heat mitigation program, and unfortunately, he passed out and he died. This is not an unusual circumstance. A CDC study that was done said that agricultural workers in the U.S. are 20 times more likely to die from heat illness and heat stress than civilian workers overall. One other example, it's not just an outdoor phenomenon. Warehouses, you know, these warehouses where they process the packages that we all love getting delivered to our houses this summer in a fulfillment center in New Jersey. Rafael Frias, who was only 42, and he collapsed and died with a suspicion because of dangerously high heat. Workers at that facility, they tracked one of the temperatures for one of their cargo trucks as being 145 degrees. And so when workers are moving cargo in and out, this was what happens even in an indoors facility where you think, oh, they have access to water and shade and uh, and air conditioning. So this is a problem not just outside in the direct sun, but even inside in warehouse and distribution facilities.
0: Well, you just mentioned PPE, and I'd like to talk about that more. Before the pandemic, personal protective equipment was just relatively unknown safety industry jargon. But now it's absolutely a household term that makes people think of things like masks, face shields, and gloves. But what exactly is heat mitigation PPE, and how does it impact employee safety? How can it make the folks you just mentioned safer?
1: So in the kind of level set, when you to understand heat mitigation PPE, you gotta get the quick basics on what heat illness actually is. So first thing, it's a hundred percent preventable. It absolutely doesn't have to happen to anyone. And heat illness is gonna happen. Obviously, when there's high temperatures and high humidity, direct sun, but it can also happen if we're doing you know, a lot of physical exertion, if there's not much air movement, if there's an existing health condition, and also if we're not using the right PPE or the right PPE in the right way. So this isn't as simple as, hey, just throw on the certain PPE and you're good to go. So then the the question is, Peter, okay, what are our options out there of PPE that can protect us? There are a few different categories. So the first one is going to be cooling garments and towels. And so these are things that you can essentially take a towel and dunk it in water, swish it around for 10 seconds, and because of evaporative cooling, it'll keep you cool. And so this could be a, a towel like sometimes we see, it could be a bandana, skull cap, et cetera, et cetera. Nice thing about this is it's cheap and cheerful. They're really low cost. You can take it with you in pretty much any working environment, and they they can be refreshed by dipping in water. So that's a, a common cooling garment and towel that we see used a lot. Then the next couple categories are vests. So there's either a face change vest. This is pretty cool stuff where the material changing phases it keeps you cool those are things that are great for landscaping professionals construction workers etc and then lastly evaporative cooling vests and that kind of works like the uh, garments last thing we're also a big fan of what is called internal ppe so water's great but the reality is when it's hot and we're sweating a lot we need to replace our electrolytes and so there are a lot of great electrolyte drinks out there some even come in sugar-free options why does that matter Almost 20% of the workforce is diabetic, and so having sugar-free options that can still give them the electrolytes that you need are really important. So those are some of the key PPE categories.
0: A lot of things to think about, and something you mentioned before was this is almost, if not, 100% preventable. So what do organizations get wrong about stocking and supplying PPE, and really how can they go beyond the bare minimum to meet compliance and protect their employees? Seems to me like it has to do with not just the equipment, but also perhaps the culture.
1: This is certainly one of those problems where it's not just as simple as going online to Google and saying, okay, what's the heat stress PPE I want to buy, and then putting a box out for your employees. You know, the first thing is it really starts with strategy. So what is a comprehensive heat stress mitigation program? Some companies have the skills and they know how to develop it themselves. A lot of times they don't though and so one of our biggest recommendations to organizations is find a trusted partner someone who knows this space who can help you walk through risk areas in your facilities and your job sites and identify not just the ppe but other processes and policies you can put in place channel partners or distributors manufacturers reps those are great places for example to find those types of skills second concern and second kind of mistake we see often is companies just not buying the right PPE. Like I said, it's really tempting just to go to the internet and try to self-serve there, but there are a lot of options. It's easy to get lost and also easy to pick maybe not the right PPE solution for the job. So again, if you can have a channel partner or someone who can walk you through this process, all the better. And the last point, Peter, you touched on it, is with culture. You can have the best program, the best equipment, but if people don't wear it, if there's not that trust and communication, it doesn't matter. We see a lot of employees not wearing PPE just because it doesn't fit or they don't feel comfortable or proud of how they look in it. And so that's really incumbent upon the site manager, EHS professional, whomever's making the purchase decision, work collaboratively with the employees, listen to their feedback on what they'll wear and not wear and make sure that, you know, whatever PPE you do buy, it's something that they're comfortable and proud to wear.
0: I think that's a big point. If you don't spend time on the education, then people will say, "Ah, I don't need this. This isn't necessary. I've been working for 20 years and this hasn't been a problem. So is that education component pretty big?
1: It is. It is. I mean, I, I think the good thing is we're all consumers of information and there's in the States certainly been a ton of news reporting about you know number one, the heating environment, but also through social media and other avenues, videos of workers collapsing. So I think the relative kind of IQ of our society around this is higher than it has been. That said, even with the education curve, there still in certain industries are folks who think, you know, I don't need to wear PPE or I don't need to wear this type of PPE just because I don't feel confident and cool. So the education curve is important, like you mentioned, but you got to get over people's personal preferences and comfort levels as well.
0: One thing kind of personal to me, I I had an uncle who worked outside for many years. He was a carpenter, and he lived in Houston, and he would basically not use air conditioning in Houston in the summer. And I always said, what? (laughs) At home, you're not using air conditioning? And he says, if I go to work and I'm working outside and it's 100 degrees, 100% humidity, and I come home and cool it down to 70, something like that, I won't be able to go to work the next day because I won't be able to last when I'm out there. So he just got comfortable adapting his body to that. And it seems like that's an issue in today's world. We move into these very comfortable phases at home and then we go out to work in these extreme conditions and we're not ready for it. Do you see that as being potentially something adding to the crisis?
1: Without a doubt. And that, that's actually a great point, Peter. If you look at what are some of the key causes or, or risk factors for heat illness, it's actually, I think OSHA calls it the lack of acclimatization. So basically you're not used to the heat. And so that sounds like that's just the circumstance with your uncle, right? That you know if he was super comfortable at home, man, he's not going to be able to go back out on, on the job site. And so there are lots of good best practices in this area. Spoiler alert. It's tough for employers. It's not, you know, have a 10-hour day and 100-degree temperature. It's, you know, maybe two hours the first day, give them an hour break. It really is kind of a graduated schedule like that. But just as you found with your uncle, you have to get used to that temperature change gradually or else you won't be able to function.
0: Can you talk a bit more about the National Emphasis Program from OSHA? Is that helping to raise awareness for how PPE can protect workers against heat hazards?
1: So for those who don't know, OSHA launched an NEP or National Emphasis Program And the objective of that is to raise awareness about the problem of heat stress and heat-related illnesses. And they're doing a lot of inspections. A couple of weeks ago, we had the head of OSHA, Doug Parker, speak at an ISCA event. And he'd shared that they'd planned to have 400 inspections done by the end of the year. They'd actually had 1,600. So, you know, a delta of 4X over what they planned. They were thrilled with that, that they'd been able to make so much progress. And, and, you know, what, what he said to us, that this was very much a year of education for employers about what some of the basic precautions should be. So, you know, back to your point from a moment ago, Peter, that how important education is and how critical it is and so osha's region three they issued an announcement that they were going to focus particularly on warehousing operations for example so again heat stress is not just an outdoors problem one thing that we're having a lot of dialogue around is taking osha's traditional triumvirate of water rest shade and really modifying that to hydration rest shade and also protection so again just acknowledging that a comprehensive heat stress program isn't it's not just water, they're electrolyte drinks, and it's also what role can PPE change and why we don't see OSHA changing that slogan anytime soon. They have been very receptive to programs that include heat mitigation PPE for sure. In addition, Representative Judy Chu of California, she's introduced a bill we're a big supporter of that essentially would require OSHA to write a standard within 18 months. And just recently, that actually was approved by the House Education and Labor Committee. So we're positive to see some motion on that from a legislative perspective as well.
0: Are there certain industries or perhaps types of companies that would benefit more from heat mitigation PPE than others? It seems like it's maybe kind of a spectrum or a scale. That's
1: exactly right. It really is a spectrum or a scale. There are the number of high-risk industries that OSHA has called out, and it's 70, so it's a lot. Won't read the list here, else we'll be here for a couple hours. Agriculture, is as we've already talked about, is one. Construction, but also maritime, which is one that kind of surprised me, but it makes sense. You know, you're out on the water, and certainly you're totally exposed to the elements. But as you point out, general industry is one of those, so that's all-encompassing. So OSHA is focusing on those 70 industries. I will say, though, one of our members who's a distributor, and they sell to pretty much every industry, they said that this summer they sold 5x the amount of heat stress mitigation products as last year. Yes, it was a hotter year, but that was in kind of a bellwether that companies are paying attention And they're starting to realize that PPE can play a critical role in mitigating heat stress.
0: Do you think COVID and the awareness it brought to PPE caused maybe that increased recognition?
1: So don't have data to back it up. My suspicion would be that for larger, more sophisticated programs, EHS programs, where it's not just about compliance, but they really have a safety culture. My suspicion is there's not too much of a delta there. However, companies where they really didn't have much of a robust safety program, perhaps smaller organizations, that focus on PPE has definitely benefited the workers for sure.
0: Well, what do organizations need to know about perhaps prioritizing and then procuring and wearing heat mitigation PPE? How do we take it down to its basics for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say the first thing is don't wait. Is is strange as it is to think about buying heat mitigation PPE in, you know, whenever we're listening to this in the dead of winter, as we found there can be supply chain issues that can impact inventory and your ability to get product on time. So my first recommendation is don't wait till June 30th, the first hot day. As consumers, we do that with our air conditioners in our homes and guess what? That means we're gonna be hot for a week while the HVAC company makes space on its schedule. So same thing here for PPE, don't wait is the first thing. Second thing is whether you're a big company or a small company, Really think twice before just going to Google or going to Amazon and just trying to figure out what you need yourself, whether it's a distributor, manufacturer's rep, lots of great organizations, channel partners you can work with out there who have expertise, who can walk you through this process. And it really is not as simple as we have cooling towels. Therefore, we have a program. As we mentioned earlier, Peter, it really does start with get a program together. Doesn't have to take 20 hours. OSHA has some great resources on their website, policies, templates, best practices. It's free to everyone. You should also start there just to think about what a good solid heat stress mitigation program can look like.
0: And it's going to be different for different people in your organization, just like an organization where you have people that deal with hazardous chemicals. They're going to, of course, train and prepare for dealing with issues that pop up differently than someone that's sitting maybe half a mile away in a nice, comfortable office
1: absolutely it's a great point yeah different job types different work sites industries geographies different weather i mean there is a lot of complexity there right so definitely there's not a one-size-fits-all solution for sure that's again don't reinvent the wheel there are folks who are experts in this you can lean on and rely on to walk you through the process
0: well as listeners of this show know that communication is very near and dear to my heart especially when it comes to emergencies either during or before so how does communication play into an organization's heat stress prevention program?
1: It's critical. I think really the, the foundational element that needs to be in place is trust. That of course doesn't happen overnight. You know, that's something that you need to build for years with employees and as part of your culture. I think from a heat mitigation program perspective, the first thing is signaling to your employees that this is a priority. So it's again, it's not as simple as hey guys, it's hot, here's some bottled water, it is to take a step back and develop a comprehensive program that you, where possible, involve the employees in the development of the program, but then certainly when you roll out the program, provide the training resources so they know, number one, their responsibility for themselves, but also just as importantly, what employees have as a responsibility to their colleagues. So whether it's a formal buddy system, which we've seen some companies use, but how can employees monitor their colleagues. So if they see someone maybe slurring their words, or if they're kind of staggering a little bit, what's that protocol that can be done to protect that worker to get them to safety to get them rehydrated, et cetera? So it really does start with that developing a program, either in concert with the employees, or certainly at least when it's done communicate very heavily to the employees. And the second thing, I mean, like all things, Peter, the proof's really in the pudding, right? You can have the best plan on paper, but if you actually don't bring that to life consistently, then it's not worth much. So a few pieces we recommend as part of any effective heat mitigation program are number one, you got to check the worksite conditions, not just every day, but multiple times a day. And so OSHA actually has a wet globe bulb temperature monitor thing, which kind of looks crazy, but basically gives you everything you need to gauge the danger of a worksite. So that's a simple thing that you can have on every worksite. Second thing, going back to your uncle's story is give workers time and space to acclimate to hot conditions. It's reality is even with the best PPE, you're still humans and we need that time. Second thing is being very intentional about hydration. Water's great. Electrolyte drinks probably will will get you a little farther. And making sure that you have the right hydration options given the size of your workforce, given any pre-existing health conditions. And also from the PPE perspective, it's have the right things there that employees are wearing and that they know how to use them. And like all things, PPE wears out. So if and when it does, make sure that you're replenishing with new PPE.
0: Well, are there any special considerations or concerns when outfitting diverse populations with heat mitigation PPE?
1: Absolutely. And and it's not just heat mitigation PPE. It really is any type of PPE. There's been a ton of great innovation in this space, actually. So PPE for different body shapes, body sizes, genders, and style preferences. A conference that we were at, an ASSP conference a few months ago, they actually did a women PPE fashion show. And one of the things that my team and I loved, you realize that as functional as PPE is, it can be cool, too. And seeing the looks on these folks' faces wearing this PPE, they feel good, they feel confident. And if they feel that way, guess what? They're going to wear it. And especially for certain body types, some PPE, you know, it's like you're wearing a garbage bag. And so whether that's heat mitigation PPE or any other type, you want to have something that you feel good in. And so there's been a lot of great work around that area. And heat stress has certainly benefited from some of that. And this is something, too, that not just private industry is getting behind. OSHA actually held a conference on this issue about diversity and PPE just a few weeks ago. And so they're doing some studies around this. So, again, the recognition that all our bodies are not built the same and that we have different style preferences. And then what can we do as employers to make sure that we're outfitting our employees and things they feel comfortable and confident in.
0: Yeah, it seems like as it's human nature, and when we think about technical things like this, to focus on function only and we forget the form part. And you look at lots of industries, like the medical industry, when they started allowing people to wear different kinds of scrubs that had colorful patterns, it just the adoption went up tremendously. So that's a that's pretty big.
1: You know, we want our workers to feel confident, look great, and be safe. And one of the interesting things is if you're wearing a high-vis vest, for example, that's really bulky. It's actually bad because it can get stuck in something and that's a hazard. So there's the functional risk, but there's also we can look good too.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Well, looking beyond the realm of heat mitigation, are there any innovations or new PPE technology on the horizon that organizations should be thinking about taking advantage of?
1: Yeah, there's actually a lot of really cool stuff out there. And so... What's driving this? A lot of the trends that we feel as consumers are driving this. So, for example, in several different PPE categories, there's a greater use of recycled or recyclable materials. That's a big deal. For some PPE, like these vests that might protect you from terrible chemical spills, recycling that is pretty much impossible. But there are a lot of categories where you can. So one of our members even makes gloves almost entirely from recycled plastic bottles, which is unbelievable because we think about the amount of plastic waste our society produces. That's a big win. So that's one big trend is recyclable and recycled materials. And that's a win for consumers. It's a win for businesses looking to reduce their carbon footprint. Another area of innovation, you know, also driven by a trend we see as consumers is digitization. Some folks call it connected worker. And so one example of this kind of on the most sophisticated end is if you're wearing a respirator. So say you're a firefighter, or you're a welder and are welding some really nasty stuff. You can have sensors in your respirator that connect to an app and you can look at levels of this and that, and your boss can monitor things. So some pretty cool stuff there. And also, you know, we're looking at other, even just simply RFID chips on PPE of other kinds just to track inventory. So there's definitely some cool connected worker stuff. We already talked a little bit, Peter, about what companies are doing to make PPE a little cooler and a little more inclusive. So, pink, obviously, anyone can wear pink regardless of their gender identity. But just the fact that pink is out there, it's really popular for some sectors as a PPE color. So, that's pretty exciting. And another thing I saw at a trade show the other day is if you have AirPods, they have that hear through technology. So, you're getting some noise protection, but you can hear external noises. So some companies out there essentially make hearing protection where you can hear a worker, but it filters out all the bad noise that might harm your hearing. So every year there's something new and exciting coming out. So we're excited to see what the industry has in store for 23.
0: Yeah, no, that's amazing. It's so great that people are putting their attention on this to just make it something that more people want to adopt. That's fantastic.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: Well, just getting to the basics, if a listener wants to get started ordering PPE to protect their employees in 2023, where should they begin?
1: That's a great question. So a few options. So our website, which is safetyequipment.org, we can give you a list of a lot of great manufacturers that make this equipment and go to any of those manufacturers' websites and they'll say, great, here's our distributor who can really be that trusted safety partner that I've described, right? Not just, hey, here's some PPE, but hey, let's look at your heat stress program. How can you develop it and what role can PPE play? So that's that's probably the first recommendation I would do. So that way you're not just hunting and pecking on Google. Second recommendation is there are a lot of great resources out there. Benchmark groups, whether it's ASSP, podcasts like this, where you can hear from other companies about what type of PPE they use and learn from them. So that's a great way to get ideas about what's working for other companies. You can pick and choose what's good for you. Finally, I mentioned as well, the OSHA website has a lot of great resources around heat stress as an overall challenge around heat stress programs. And while they don't have specific manufacturer recommendations for PPE, we do. They can also tell you about some of the categories out there. So safetyequipment.org, OSHA's website, and any kind of external benchmarking groups that you might be involved with.
0: Fantastic. As you think back on your career and everything you've done in this industry, are there some final thoughts that you can share with the audience about the top one, two, or three takeaways that you'd like to impart to them to make sure that they walk away remembering?
1: I would say the first thing is Measure twice, cut once. It's easy to listen to this podcast and say, all right, well, Cam's giving me some scary stats. It's going to get hot, so I'll go buy some cooling towels for my people. I I wouldn't suggest that at all. The first thing really is to develop an overall heat stress mitigation program. And so whether it's going to OSHA.gov or other websites, that's the first step. Think about this holistically. Second piece is No plan is ever any good if it just lives on paper. This really needs to be something that your team, your employees, your entire workforce uses. And as Peter pointed out, depending on the different job types, maybe in different ways. So make sure that you're communicating with employees in the development of the plan, in the launch of the plan, and also regularly updates to the plan. That's critical or else all the work will have gone to not. And then lastly, is really empower your workers so that way they're looking out for themselves and their own health, that if they need to take a break, that they take it. They need to be able to have that agency to take a breather when it gets hot, when they get uncomfortable, and also make sure that they're empowered to take care of their colleagues out there. Sometimes we don't know when we're experiencing early signs of heat stress or even heat illness. So make sure that your employer your employees know that it's not just okay, but it's their job to advocate for and to care for their fellow employees.
0: Well, that's an excellent combination of advice. And I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I just hear the anecdotes about the tragic stories of people succumbing to heat stress, but I'd never heard the statistics before. So thank you for sharing all that. It's a big issue that every organization should be thinking about.
1: Thanks so much, Peter. It's a big problem. We're confident that the resources are in place to help employers and employees. And the world's not getting any cooler, so it really isn't coming upon us as a society, as employers, to provide our workers with what they need to keep safe.
0: Well, where can our audience learn more about ISEA and heat mitigation PPE in general?
1: Visit us at safetyequipment.org and you can see examples of some of the cool kinds of heating solutions, PPE out there, and you can link to a lot of great manufacturers that make this. We also have some upcoming data around heat stress and spoiler alert about 80 million employees in the U.S. should be wearing this every single day. Our suspicion is that the actual reality is a fraction of that, but we just are going to publish a study in a few weeks. 80 million workers really should be wearing heat mitigation PPE every single day.
0: Sounds like we got a way to go.
1: That we do, Peter.
0: Well, thanks, Cam, and thanks to you for tuning in. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and get more insights and ideas that keep employees safe. You can also rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to tell us how we're doing. Have a safe week, everyone.
1: Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.